Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Tuesday night edition of the pod, midweek here. I want to talk about a really fascinating game in Milwaukee as they outlasted the Cleveland Cavaliers. Also, a ton of news that's built up that we got to get to. And we'll do a few random questions as well. I haven't done that in a while. Those are always fun to kind of break it up a little bit. And a few notes on Washington, New Orleans, and Sacramento, Philly. Not too much uh, because, you know, we're in danger of running short on all these. So uh, we're really potentially going to run out of material um why don't we hit some news first here mr larue uh what we got well i think we could start with the so it was always going to be a two-week evaluation period for curry and the reevaluation happened i was announced on tuesday that curry will not play for another week which means he's out for the christmas day game against the Cavs. so both teams will be without their ostensible starting point guards yeah isaiah thomas uh, targeting early january for his return and that's a shame but it might make the game more interesting it'll be in golden state uh, as it was two years ago we may be at that game we may do the twitter nba show i haven't decided yet depends on whether we actually get seats or not that might be part of it uh but takes a little bit of a luster off of that game but it has at least made golden state more interesting to me trying to see them cope without curry in other golden state news draymond green has and zaza patchouli both been upgraded to questionable for their tilt tomorrow night against Memphis and Green has been struggling with this he played in his homecoming game in Detroit after missing a game in Charlotte but then has missed the last few now and Steve Kerr said you know it's just yeah okay if it were the playoffs he could be playing but we're trying to rest him and, and get it right but it has been a little bit of a inscrutable injury and Pachulio you'll recall returned as well against Charlotte and then he's missed the last few but because of the preposterous depth on this team they really have not missed a beat and they've continued to defend well and Kevin Durant has uh, proved I think again that he is still in the regular season the same type of MVP caliber player that he was before and and in terms of just carrying a team that doesn't have a bunch of other great offensive players on it also uh what else we got here well I think we should go to the Jazz I mean because because we haven't talked about Rudy Gobert's injury since it happened Derek Favors fell into him it did not look it didn't look terrible to me but it did definitely did not look good and it is a, a PCL and bone bruise for Gobert. He's going to be out. I, th- I th- The last thing I remember hearing was about a month, but it could be, uh, obviously, with something like that, it could be more. And then Favors is out on top of that. 
Yeah, for Gobert, the PCL, if you don't know, a more rarely injured ligament that's actually towards the back of the knee. It keeps your knee from hyperextending, and the ubiquitous bone bruises. Well, we know that those are difficult to deal with, and Favors missed Monday's game against the Rockets, where the Jazz actually put up a valiant effort, and then were just absolutely deluged by Houston three pointers in the fourth quarter of that game. So they do have Epe Udo who can come in. They have Jonas Jerebko who can play some center as well. And I don't think Favors is going to miss too much time. He may be back for our Thursday Twitter NBA show game. Uh, Rodney Hood has returned. He played extremely well against the Rockets last night, uh, scoring over 20 points. Uh, and I think it was five of nine from three. So good to see him back. There had been talk that it was a sore ankle. Then he said it was a sore Achilles. No, in fact, it was an ankle tendon. Uh, and he misspoke in his interview with Tony Jones. But whatever it ended up being, good to see him back on the court. And, you know, you're always holding your breath for the next, you know, small injury where he misses seven or eight games again with Rodney Hood. All right, lots more news to get to here. But first this from tracker the tracker.com slash capsace will get you 20 percent off any order and the appeal of the tracker is you're not going to lose your stuff anymore your keys your wallet because you know that those are the last things that you look for before you're ready to leave you've got it all planned out you're going to get there on time maybe even you're even a, a couple minutes late already and then oh no now you can't find your keys you can't find your wallet and you're going to spend another five minutes ten minutes well if you could just eliminate that from your life every single time why wouldn't you and you can do it with the all new tracker pixel it's the lightest bluetooth tracking device on the market you just place the tracker pixel on whatever you tend to lose keys wallet purse it's small enough to fit basically anywhere and when you misplace an item that has a tracker pixel attached use your smartphone and a 90 decibel alert will help you find it in seconds it also has powerful led lights so you can find it even in the dark and if you lose your phone you press the button on your tracker pixel and then your phone rings even if your phone is on silent so once again the way to get started with them go to the tracker.com slash cap space get your 20 percent off any order that slash cap space url very easy to remember as we talk about cap space all the time on the program that's the tracker.com slash cap space for 20 percent off the tracker.com slash cap space so another thing that i wanted to talk about here with was the sixers and marco fultz we've mentioned previously that another couple of weeks three weeks uh, for him as he's working back to shooting i thought jay king had an interesting interesting piece out of boston surprisingly enough there's still some interest of course in Fultz since they traded away the pick that became him but he mentioned basically in college he believes he had a pretty similar injury to Fultz, and he just didn't realize what the problem was but he felt this pain in the front of his shoulder and he ended up shooting in a weird way much like Fultz ended up doing they couldn't diagnose it at first as well and that for jay once they actually you know had him do some rehab work the pain went away and he was able to shoot normally again so i thought that was just an interesting perspective i wanted to share since it's somewhat contrary to what i'm have been saying about how hey you know there must be a, a mental component to this and perhaps there is but you know jay at least indicating that if it is a similar injury perhaps that you know all of what we've seen from him could just be physical and that maybe you know they just weren't able to really diagnose it until they came out with that release that it, it was a scapular imbalance and it's a good piece of context too because this is an injury that so few of us are familiar with 
and really can we don't have a way of getting bearings on it you know that a lot of times with nba stuff that happens through other guys you know like when somebody sprains their mcl we have you know jeff stott's database of how long guys miss with that but this sort of thing doesn't happen very often so even if it's anecdotal it still provides a foundation there and we got both of us probably separately and together got crap for putting markel fultz in the top prospects thing but part of it for me was the idea that you know that there was a lot more to look at than just oh he couldn't shoot in summer league that means he's going to be bad forever or anything silly like that but this it did give me more comfort on the idea that even though he can provide value in other ways that he can get back to more of what was so intriguing about him at washington and before washington in New York, Kristaps Porzingis missed time over the weekend, including their blowout loss to Charlotte on Monday with what he termed a knee instability after beginning to experience that, I believe, last Friday. And it was deemed precautionary. You recall that he also missed time with that ugly looking ankle injury, but was able to return after that. And for Porzingis, you know, this is another one of these things, especially lower body injuries, whether it's his hip, his groin, his ankle, his knee, you know, there always seems to be some sort of an issue with him. Uh, the good news is that according to a BOTP, Berman of the Post, as Frank Isola so endearingly calls him, he is scheduled to return on Thursday, which is good for us because that's when the Tour NBA show is uh, against Boston. And then Tim Hardaway Jr., you'll recall, has missed time with that stress reaction a couple of weeks. There was hope that he could return after that, but it looks like that has been slower to heal than we would have hoped, and he will be reevaluated next week. Uh, speaking of slower to heal than we would have hoped, let's turn to Memphis. Yeah, I mean, so, so Conley is still dealing with treatment on his left heel and to go back a little bit in time on november 29th the Grizzlies said that conley would return in two to three weeks so now we're about three weeks from that point and now it will be out at least two more weeks so this is a long time for the grizzlies obviously that 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 changes things for them and it's unfortunate because conley is an absolutely fabulous player and what compounds on this is just that they have other guys that are dealing with issues too a little more on conley first they're saying heel but it's his achilles and that's what was said before and I right there and his achilles of course it's the same achilles that he experienced soreness in and basically missed the entire second half of the 15-16 season as a result of but it was fine last year and now he's experiencing that soreness again and and he, he had already missed a bunch of time before that november 29th announcement that he would try to return in two or three weeks but this is another one of these i, I said inscrutable before but this is like that where you know if you just have soreness in a tendon or something that's a lot of ways you can't predict when someone's going to come back as well with that as you can with you know just a meniscus surgery or an mcl or something because you know they don't necessarily know exactly what's causing the soreness they just have kind of rehab it and then okay it feels good now i'm gonna ramp up my activity okay do i still feel good no uh got some soreness gotta ramp it back down again Uh, you know so i think with stress reactions with these kind of wear and tear type of injuries that it's much harder to get a a timetable there And, and then wayne selden also is supposed to be back maybe in about two weeks uh you'll recall that in typical memphis fashion he returned uh played four minutes and then instantly had to go back on the shelf again uh, with the same injury and he's now been out like another month uh chandler parsons he missed some time with knee soreness now also dealing with back soreness he's been in and out of the lineup um still on a minutes limit has been effective still when he's played and then uh brandon wright someone that they really need for their bench unit he's expected back sometime this week from his groin injury then another 
hopeful playoff team in the Western Conference that has been saddled by injuries. The Lou Williams has a left foot sprain, and then he, Gallinari, and Wes Johnson all missed their game against the Spurs. Yeah, Lou probable to come back against the Suns. Gallo has been ruled out for that game on Wednesday, as has Wes Johnson. So Gallo, there was hope. Doctor said, hey, you know, he had this fall. Maybe he'll be back in a couple of games, looking like it might be a little bit of a longer term thing there. And in Houston, Luke and Bob Mute suffered a shoulder dislocation, but no significant issues per Woj after an MRI. And there's optimism he could return within two to three weeks. And, and that happened late last week. But this is something to watch for Houston because now they're down to having eight players that Mike D'Antoni trusts and not very many wings. And so even in blowout wins, you know, we saw Trevor Ariza in that game against the Hornets had to play 42 minutes because they really just don't have anyone else that they trust. And for a team that has a couple of different names, number one, they're going to be fighting hard for home court. They also want to get James Harden his stats for the MVP, uh, but they also ran out of gas uh, last year, in particular Harden. And they're trying to make it to the showdown with San Antonio, the showdown with Golden State, healthy and rested, whereas the Warriors basically, unless it's an overtime game, never play anyone over 36 minutes. And so they have to leave guys in for blowout longer because they're just, their bench is just so bad. And, you know, D'Antoni has never been someone to play a lot of guys anyway. So both during the meat of the game and then in blowouts, because they just have basically five guys on this team that, you know, can't really play. Uh, it's an issue whenever one of their main guys is out, as it will be with Mbamute, although, of course, Houston continues to roll along nonetheless. One that I saw last night, and so we talked about a little bit on the show, Brooke Lopez went down with an ankle issue. It didn't look great, and it isn't great. He is, it is an ankle sprain, so you say, oh, well, it's good it wasn't something more severe, but he's going to be re-evaluated in three weeks. So it is not as severe as like the Glenn Robinson one, where he's actually, I think I think I just heard that he's been cleared to run and jump, but he's still not back yet. But three weeks to be re-evaluation is a long time for the guy who has been the Lakers starting center this year. Yeah, and as we talked about yesterday, it'd be very interesting to see whether Luke Walton promotes Bogut or Zubach to go with the traditional center for no reason, just because you're supposed to, or whether he actually goes with some of his best lineup and just gets more of Nance and Kuzma and Randall on the floor. I think if you just go with a three-man big rotation, also get Ingram some minutes at the four as well, I think that would be more effective for them. Uh, Dennis Smith Jr. has now missed six straight games. I I saw him Thursday warming up. He was going, you know, 50% speed at that point. um, Went through shoot-around on Monday and could return Wednesday versus Detroit. Steven Adams was unable to practice on Tuesday. He is not out of the concussion protocol yet, and I think his absence has been an underrated factor in some of OKC's offensive struggles against two pretty porous defense teams, the Knicks and the Nuggets. These last couple of games, they really miss his offensive rebounding, his finishing at the rim, his screening for Paul George, which he's pretty dependent on. So you have to imagine it's going to be a little bit for Adams, who got that concussion late in overtime and then fouled out after that uh, against the Sixers on Friday. The Heat continue to suffer some debilitating injuries. Hassan Whiteside won't travel on their two-game road trip this week, and James Johnson's going to be out seven to ten days with right ankle bursitis. And that comes on top of Justice Winslow's knee issues, so they're they're missing a lot of their front court guys. Unfortunately, Miami has a lot of depth, but especially James Johnson, they just—I mean, with him and Hassan Whiteside, they don't really have replacements for those guys. They just have talented players who do different things. Yeah, and Rodney Magruder and O'Carl, and O'Carl White out uh, with some long-term injuries, and Goran Dragic is dealing with an elbow injury as well, but he's going to try and play Wednesday against the, the Celtics. We'll see what what happens when he goes through shoot around. Dirk Nowitzki, you remember, he really struggled with injuries at the start of last 
year this year he says uh as long as as my body feels like it has so far with no setbacks like last year when i missed two months i'm looking forward to hopefully fulfilling my contract and he has a five million dollar team option for next year which they could decline and sign him for less or just keep that team option as well another interesting thing that that happened recently uh disney parent company of espn acquired certain assets of fox sports namely their regional sports networks and those happen to have about half of the nba's local television rights and so tom ziller wrote an interesting piece on what some of the possibilities there are one of them might be that maybe espn will sell a package that'll be better than sorry nba league pass which is still just a a pretty miserable product in terms of the delays and and the lag time you know i've got like 150 megabyte per second internet here and uh there's still lag so i'm guessing it's not my problem uh and everyone else complains about it as well so uh, but that could lead to some interesting stuff it also kind of takes some competition out of there for local television rights although presumably those entities will continue to bid for those rights but you know anytime there's some consolidation there you you wonder what's going to happen it might be good for consumers in terms of having more options and having more of that stuff publicized but it also could lead to maybe uh you know a streamlining of the production and the cost shall we say uh, for some of those broadcasters uh what else we got here well i want to talk about another element of that and tom brings this up in the piece but it's not as accentuated but i think will be a very important part long term is the idea that the the networks that are already airing national nba games lost one of the big competitors for it fox especially fs1 had been one of the teams or one of the entities that was very interested in getting nba basketball well now they already have it because it's the combination with with espn so there they will be negotiating in a very different position and while the nba chose the same partners that they had before their bids were informed by other people being invested and of course there could be other things like the some of the web-based elements and and lots of other things in place by the time the the television deal comes up i think that could end up being a major factor that just having one of the deep pocketed forces not in play in denver emmanuel moutier is going to miss time with an ankle sprain that suffered over the weekend uh and that's noteworthy because he's had ankle problems in the past his year in china he only played like six games until before the playoffs because of a bad ankle sprain his rookie year he missed a couple of months because of a bad ankle sprain and so those are always something to watch with him denver may as has been the case basically throughout moutier's career be better with him not playing though they can just play will barton more as a backup point guard gary harris can handle the ball a little bit jamal murray you know they've got Jokic to run the offense through so i don't think they're going to suffer too much they might even be slightly better though you know obviously he's a guy still that they are trying to develop they don't have much word on a timetable there yet uh and jabari parker has been assigned to practice with the wisconsin herd milwaukee's d-league affiliate this year so good news for him as he seems to be getting closer they're still talking about february but if he's actually going through full contact practices uh, which it's not clear that he's going to be but usually that's why you'd assign someone down there um that is a, a good sign there and then finally this will probably be a bad thing in the short term hopefully a good thing in the long term uh, Monty McCutcheon who I believe is the best referee in the NBA I, I thought he did an excellent job in the 2016 finals particularly in game seven a game which was not marred by really any bad calls at all which is pretty tough to do for a game of that intensity uh he has worked his final game and will be promoted to a VP position at the league where he's going to try to help make everyone else better officials but for super big games not having him this year you know it's going to take a while for whatever reforms he institutes to come in 
and uh, I think the league will miss him out there for sure in uh, some of these big games in this year's playoff. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, he he isn't necessarily loved in every fan base, but no ref is, and I thought he did a very good job overall, and the league trusted him with so many of big games over the last few years. Uh, let's get to this Cleveland-Milwaukee game now. It was a 119-116 buck victory, although quite a bit of yo-yoing in this one. Cleveland surged out to a nice lead early, uh, putting up 34 points uh, in the first quarter, and then uh, the Bucks started the second quarter with a 17-4 to run and surged into the lead by halftime. And what stuck out to me during that stretch was that in the second quarter, which was different in the fourth, and we'll talk about it when it gets there, both teams were playing without their star forwards. LeBron was sitting at the same time Giannis was sitting, and that has been a danger time for the Bucks basically this entire year, but they did a nice job. They hit a couple they hit a couple shots. Brogdon, I think, had two threes in that time, and there was one play during it where Liggins got the ball wide open in the corner twice, passed on the shot the first time, and bricked it the second time, but by and large, they were doing a nice job executing defensively, and that's not the Ballyhooed kind of bench-heavy lineup that the Cavs have been running, but you kind of thought they would do more, and then that ended up coming into play a little bit in the fourth quarter when, in the slightly different circumstances, the outcome was very, very different. Yeah, and we'll talk about that that huge Cavs run in the fourth, because uh, Milwaukee at one point led by 20 points in the fourth quarter, and Cleveland came all the way back to actually lead by two, and like with four minutes left, like they really just totally blitzed them. Uh, Cleveland overall, though, giving up a buck 19. This was a return to the bad old days for Cleveland of early in the season. Milwaukee, 27.4% of their possessions were in transition. And off of live rebounds, 47% of their possessions were in transition. And that's just completely unacceptable transition defense from Cleveland. I mean, and they were, obviously the box, Giannis, like when they're charged up, Eric Bledsoe can really push the pace as well for this team. I mean, they're difficult to deal with in transition especially when Giannis gets a rebound in a grab and go but I mean they were just blowing it every way you could blow it in transition defense I mean there was the oh hey like this guy's got the rebound so how about two guys just like try to knock the ball away from him after he's already got the rebound and then once he passes it out it's a four on three no matter how long it takes there was that there was not communicating in transition and they still don't have anyone to protect the rim as well so it was a really difficult deal with Giannis unless LeBron just happens to be in position and happens to be trying on that possession so they really really just any time they missed it was seemed like it was going to be a bucks fast break and they ran it down their throats and then they actually ran it down their throats late as well and that's how they were able to come away with the victory yeah it was it was a pretty strange game just in terms of the way that the field worked because i mean you, when you watch that third quarter especially and at the end of that you're saying they're going oh my god like this this is what the good bucks look like and, and you and while it's true that the lineup that hemorrhaged a lot of the lead was not the same personnel it was still in terms of chronology it was such a quick succession that it was it was a little bit jarring to me and so one of the big elements that turned in this was Giannis started the fourth quarter he was in yeah and then they do that a lot I mean yes like we've been critical they at least when they went up 20 kid was like okay I can take him out of there because a lot of times he'll leave him in for like another six minutes he'll play like the first 18 minutes of the second half but at least they didn't do right. that this time and so kid pulled Giannis and he was only out for two minutes and nine seconds and in that two minutes and nine seconds, a couple of big things happened. One, Milwaukee was outscored eight to two, so that's you you lose five or six points off that big lead. But what ended up becoming more critical of that was that they committed five fouls in those two minutes, and those resulted in seven free throws, but also put Cleveland in the bonus. So Cleveland then was able to just get a ton of free 
throws, it, both in that time and then once Giannis came back in and LeBron came back in, they were able to get that. And then they were also getting Wade threes and numerous other things. This was a weird game where Wade was gunning for threes and Kyle Korver was missing them. But it's yeah, an 82 game season. Way, like people, people on Twitter were like, oh man, Dwayne Wade is like leading them back. It's like he took, he made one three pointer from the corner when he was open early in their run. And then, and I was like, cause I watched it on delay like you did. And I had seen that tweet. And I was like, oh man, he's probably going to like score all these points. And it's like, then he didn't do anything for like 15 more points of the run. And then he hit like two threes that were awful contested shots, like to, to put them up. And so it was just like, well, you know, he happened to make three threes, but like, you know, it's not like he was like playing well. This wasn't like throwback Wade or something Jeff like Green that. was more active too. I thought yes. Jeff Green was a bigger part of that run than Wade was. And it, it's rare to see Jeff Green be the underappreciated Cavs guy, but he, he was for a portion of it. And also it was a lineup that like with Tristan was out there, Green, Corver, Wade, and Jay Crowder, who actually played the entire fourth quarter. A lot of the four of those five guys did. And that lineup requires, you know, it, it doesn't have a, t- a ton of great shooting out there. Obviously, Corver's fantastic, but they were able to get stops and they were really able to push off that. And it's one of the ways it, it kind of parallels to a point what Golden State has approached in certain ways with their second unit. And then once they got LeBron in, they were just able to do so much more out there. But I thought one of the mistakes in this game was they pushed back on that run. And yeah, they were playing well. And it was the most ridiculous example of a hot hand for me because the guy that you're sitting is LeBron freaking James. LeBron only played three and a half minutes in the fourth quarter. And yes, they did push the lead before he came back in. I think they got all the way back, but there is no conceivable Cleveland lineup without LeBron James that is better than a Cleveland lineup with LeBron James. Yeah, I mean, and there's definitely, it was interesting to hear the players only broadcast saying, hey, you know what? Like, I know it's tough as the coach to leave the guy on the bench but you're like these guys have earned it like they're doing well and so you know they they took a two-point lead and then after the Bucks scored a couple times in a row then they decided they needed to get LeBron in I mean and, and you know there are famous times in NBA history where they've like left stars out of the game like you know game six of the 92 finals the Bulls were down 15 at the start of the fourth and they made a comeback with Jordan out of the game they didn't bring Jordan back until there were you know maybe like four minutes left or so after they basically finished off the lead uh with the bench unit but nonetheless yeah I think they could have stood to go back to LeBron a little bit earlier but you know I think also there's something to be said for hey you know what we're down 20 we're kind of thinking like hey we're not even going to bring him back in the game at all and now these guys have gotten it back so you know what why don't we see if we can rest him a little bit and, and you know LeBron ended up with 34 minutes which was his least number of minutes in a while and he was spectacular with 39 points 6 of 11 on three pointers he had that step back to his left really working um seven assists although he did have seven turnovers his turnovers have been pretty high in these last couple of games here um for Milwaukee Eric Bledsoe was spectacular only played 32 minutes uh and it does really seem like you know I guess just because of like the injuries that he has suffered that you know they're trying to keep him around that 32 minute mark and I think that that's wise um but he had 26 points he was awesome 10 out of 16 as we mentioned just killing the Bucks or killing the Cavs in transition Del Vidova was back interestingly he started the game next to Bledsoe despite the fact that Tony Snell was also back both of those guys from knee tendonitis i'm not sure why if snell was able to play more minutes than delhi they wouldn't just start snell next to bledsoe and have delhi come off the bench but then they also had malcolm brogdon come off the bench and he was instrumental in that second quarter run uh finished with 16 points chris middleton had 17 points 
and 10 assists actually uh or 18 points and 10 assists for the game 17 in the first half and then was really shut down and had five turnovers as well in the game he had one of the more maddening plays that i can recall where he gets the rebound with the bucks up to and there's you know maybe about a 10 second differential shot clock to game clock at the end and dribbles across half court eric bledsoe the point guard comes over to get the ball and middleton just waves him away just holds the ball for the entire possession and goes into an iso against Dwayne wade gets stopped gets stripped throws a no chance pass that gets knocked away and deflected and then Giannis just out hustled lebron to the ball and was able to get the and one layup to clinch it but it was just like all right eric bledsoe is a better player than you chris Giannis is a better player than you chris you've got one point in the second half you don't have like some unbelievable matchup you didn't even run any kind of play you wave the guy away when your point guard goes to get the ball like do not you do not wave him away like that's your point guard you're supposed to like give him the ball and let him run a play it was really just a very very annoying play and it was didn't seem like anyone was annoyed with him but i was just like especially because to me and he had a couple of other just like annoying isos too late in the game where it was just like they you have all these other non-shooters on the floor and they're all standing on the weak side and then he just tries to like back down and of course goes right into a double team because they don't have any spacing it's just like if he would just space out more and the coaching staff could get him to do that instead of just like all right you know trying to iso as much as he does i think they could just be so much better offensively and obviously i mean you you wanted to talk more about that run that the Cavs had i mean the offense during that run was really just miserable it was i mean they took just a slew of of rough shots some of them were just they never got anything good you know like you have an entire 18 seconds it wasn't usually the full 24 where you don't you don't really create any separation so guys just taking a contested 20 to 25 footer and that was what fueled cleveland's run i mean they don't have a ton of guys in in some of those lineups that can can really generate it but you look at it and you go okay how is that group going to beat us and the answer is by us not being able to score and you've talked about this a lot about the idea that runs like this happen from defense but that can be defense fueled by the other team's bad offense too and it was both okay Cavs deserve a lot of credit but it was both of those things together yeah so uh there the end of the game was really interesting um it's a one-point game Cavs lead Corver got a nice wide open three-pointer that he just was in and out it really looked like it was going to be down actually no I'm sorry that was that was the the later one um but he got a couple of three-point looks in the last minute Giannis gets the rebound and this was the play where it was like oh yeah two Cavaliers let's let, let's just go try and strip him of the defensive rebound instead of running back at defense so then he outlets it to Bledsoe great push by Bledsoe and then he turned around right behind him and Tony Stella is wide open for a, a three-pointer but it was all because two guys decided oh yeah let's try and like knock away from Giannis let's go for this lazy you know hey we look like we're really trying hard but in reality you're just you know excusing yourself from getting back on defense for this two percent chance that you're going to knock the ball out of Giannis hand and they give up a, a transition three which was really the key play and then the Cavs got a timeout after that and Lou went to one of his favorite plays and the Bucks were absolutely ready for it they did a great job they had it was Wade handling the ball they love to have either JR or Kyle Korver start on the block and set a back screen for LeBron and that's usually LeBron can get a backdoor play he could also just post up out of that as well like duck in or you know he can go up for the alley-oop because the guy guarding Korver is usually a small guy who doesn't want to leave Korver as well so either LeBron has the size advantage on that guy if you switch it or Korver can be open as well after he sets the back screen but the Bucks were all over that and the biggest part which you always forget about too with the especially with all these great passing teams is ball pressure is so important because LeBron was open 
and the players were like hey when they're doing like lebron's open like they missed him well the reason they missed him was because there was great ball pressure i, I think by tony snell uh, on Dwayne wade and that's wade kind of had to get a little more defensive with the ball and just wasn't able to make that split second decision for the pass uh, due to the ball pressure and then lebron missed a, a tough three-pointer against Giannis with a step back they got the rebound and then there's you know that middleton play that i was complaining about and then what, uh, what, at the end yeah well so no so then that was when corver wasn't that when corver had that in and out three i thought that was right off the lebron miss am i right about that oh yes yes thank you yeah that is uh, i i did miss that in the sequence but yeah it was they at least four like they had to run the time down and that james missed three was like right at the buzzer and wade just mm-hmm. happened to get the rebound and that's when they got lucky that corver missed that three uh which could have put cleveland up uh but then at the very end uh they are lebron does this ridiculous play they're down five after Giannis gets the end one he throws it off the back of Giannis, who's trying to deny the ball in bounds uh picks it up goes to his left hits an impossible three-pointer to put them within two but there's only 1.4 left at that point so middleton gets fouled makes the first one they're up three and jason kidd then instructs him to miss the second one on purpose when if he just makes the shot you're up by four it was totally insane and kid was asked about it after the game he's like well you know i didn't want them to be able to get a four-point play and and you know the Cavs did have no timeouts left so all right the idea is hey we miss it and then you know they're once you get the rebound they're not even going to be able to get it get it off you know if he makes the shot then you can inbound it all the way down but you know well, at that point you could just have everyone like lay down on the court and like not not commit a foul and by having him intentionally miss it we've seen this before usually when teams are down they try to intentionally miss but nba players aren't good at intentionally missing we've seen guys just like airball it or only hit the backboard and that's a violation so by having him intentionally miss it the only thing that could go wrong the only time way that you could get a situation where they can inbound the ball and actually have a realistic chance of tying the game i mean there's still you know 1.4 seconds they got to go the length of the court but you know it, it's realistic er <laughs> i guess it's still you know we're talking on the margins here but you know if he intentionally misses he could very easily commit a violation and then you can actually give them a minimal but still a chance to tie the game and so like this is the second time really that kid has been too cute by half where he's just like oh yeah like i think they're gonna do this so hey here's some like little cute advantage that i have you know and he did that kind of stuff like as a player too where he'd just like run into whatever coach it was i think it was mike woodson who was just on the floor and like got a technical foul because the guy was on the floor and then the early days when he had Ty, uh tyshawn taylor run into him with the coke uh, to try to get an extra time out and ended up getting fined for it um but it's just like it's pretty easy either you make the free throw and you're up four and the game's over or you miss the free throw and at least you know that you're going to hit the rim because you were trying to make the free throw with a 90 percent free throw shooter he's not going to airball it just it, it, like i don't want to spend that much time on something that didn't really matter ultimately but it's very indicative of just kind of like jason kidd just he tries to like outsmart everyone and enjoy himself because he's outsmarting everyone but in reality he's not really outsmarting everyone. yeah I, I was struck by it at the, in the same way that you were, and I don't want to dwell on it either. But This isn't the, as bad as the intentional foul up by four. No, uh, no, no, no. But, yeah. But it's not great. And and so, and the other thing I wanted to mention about this, you talked about Eric Bledsoe's game, was you noticed how beneficial it was for the Bucks to have a second creator, especially somebody who has athleticism and, and, and the other things that Bledsoe brings alongside Giannis, because there were plays where the Cavs were just trying to basically get Giannis 
out of the play, and they would have stalled out. Even I mean, Brogdon, yeah, he won Rookie of the Year last year and all that kind of stuff, but Bledsoe is just a whole different animal as a point guard and brings an element to them that I really like. That said, as valuable as he is in those minutes, he's also valuable in the minutes Giannis doesn't play, so that's just something they have to reconcile. But I think the Bledsoe-Giannis combination was really helping them out. Yeah, it is. Uh, although I do think maybe, especially because now they've got all their guys back and they can get more shooting on the floor. I mean, it's still still troubling to me that DeAndre Liggins played 16 minutes um, because, I mean, he's just, he has zero chance ever making a shot. I mean, he was taking him and it's just, it's not close for him. Looks ugly. Like how he once shot 38% on three-pointers and isn't in the G League, I just have no idea. But, you know, whatever he once used to be as a shooter, he's now not that anymore. And obviously he was well-known as a non-shooter coming out of school. Um, but yeah, I think that they, some lineups going to Bledsoe in spread pick and roll, like that would be a good theory of the lineup as we so often talk about with, with bench units and much better than just, hey, let's have Chris Middleson uh, go to work ISOing because um, that's usually like where they get their offense, both Bledsoe and Giannis out of the game in some of these bench units. Um, I will talk a little bit about these other games today and also maybe do a question or two after this from stamps.com. Danny, you have been a loyal stamps.com customer of late with all this milling you've had to do for the book i have and it's a sometimes it's a lot of packaging of similar proportions which it's it's nice because you could just rapid fire go through it change the address and things like that but just the overall convenience of being able to handle so much of that from home being able to have pickups at home is it's a godsend and especially for people like us who have kind of unusual jobs it's in in many ways even more valuable just because we whatever your style of of life is you can make stamps.com work well for you yeah they bring all of the services of the u.s post service right to your fingertips you can buy and print official u.s postage for any letter any package any class of mail using your own computer and printer then the mailman picks it up stamps.com makes it easy they'll send you a digital scale which automatically calculates exact postage and they'll help you decide the best class of mail every time any day anytime stamps.com is always open nice for uh, us night owls to be sure right now you too can enjoy the stamps.com service with a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus postage and a digital scale without long-term commitments go to stamps.com click on that microphone at the top of the homepage and type in you all know what it's going to be cap space that familiar code since we talk about cap space all the time in the program that's stamps.com promo code cap space so you just had a few observations on the sacramento philly game sixers now losing on back-to-back nights to two of the worst teams in the league although maybe you can't say that about the bulls having won six straight with the triumphant return of nikola miritich but 101 95 and most striking about this was the sixers really struggled to score and jj reddick exited the game with with hamstring tightness early in the third quarter he was plus 13 and after that i mean really there's one semi-reliable shooter on this team and that's covington and he was unreliable today going two of 13 from downtown the sixers certainly took plenty of threes and jared bayless actually uh did go four of eight but he has a lot of other limitations when he's closing the game for you that's not too good and ben simmons had a troubling game despite nearing a triple double with 13 points 12 rebounds and nine assists only five of six from the field and we really saw that without Embiid without the spacing to go to work they were able to just pack the paint especially when they had Willie Cauley-Stein in he, he really was not able to get to the room and he also just wasn't being aggressive enough as well I mean there were a couple of times like one where he just got a pass under the rim and could have just gone up for the dunk it would have been a little bit contested but he's 6'10 I think he had the size advantage on whoever it was down there and he just passes it out for a three-pointer and it's games like this despite the fact that he was an efficient five out of six that make me a 
a little bit lower on his ceiling than you because it's just you know they needed him to score more and it did not seem like he necessarily was capable of doing that in this one against a king's defense that is not good and a king's defense that in the fourth quarter was playing really small i mean sacramento was playing with one center and it's not like oh they were playing fours they were playing vince carter a lot at power forward they were playing their malik so malachi richardson had a significant amount of time there but he healed was of course out there and then garrett temple started the game but scored all nine of his points in the fourth quarter so they're playing basically all those guys together and so while simmons is not like a post guy or anything like that he has physical advantages there that you need to capitalize on in indiana it's some basic stats in that fourth quarter they had as many turnovers five as they had made baskets also five yeah, and philly you mean i think you said philly yeah philly person. yeah i don't know why and they were five of 20 from the field three of 10 from three and the three of 10 from three isn't a huge surprise if covington's not going to make a ton of them he was one for five during that stretch and they they were just they couldn't get an a real offensive identity out there and since Saka was going small and they were getting stops they were able to get looks in transition and they also had enough spacing that they were able to get things too yeah the kings uh despite seven of 27 three-point shooting uh, were able to uh outlast the, the sixers in this one i thought it was interesting you know De'Aaron fox started the game at point guard he had been dealing with quad soreness and then only played 11 minutes he appeared to maybe re-injure the quad uh as he was fouled by simmons he looked like he got kneed in the thigh i'm not sure if that was the same injury or something else and also just you know wasn't playing well at the beginning and so you know they went with frank mason who just really continues to play well 16 points on seven of nine from the field plus 12 in this one but as you mentioned they closed it with you know, garrett temple basically playing point guard they had malachi richardson out there of all people bogdanovich did not play well either he's returning from injury as well he only played at 18 minutes in this one so jaeger went to his bench and then really the only starter who was in at the end other than temple uh, was zach randolph and uh he had 27 points in this one he's had a couple of throwback games recently and, and he was uh able to beast inside because the sixers were so desperate for offense they actually were playing sharich at center uh, with simmons at power forward and trying to just get some more shooting out there they also have mcconnell out there and still uh, were unable to score and so i mean this this sixers offense I mean, especially without reddick out there without Embiid, like they're gonna look bad and it's interesting to think of philly now 14 and 16 about equal schedule between home and road but you would have to say i mean i know Embiid has missed a couple of games here and also noteworthy that you know he yeah he was supposedly missed the chicago game due to maintenance but then couldn't play in this one either due to this back tightness he had the back tightness before that game on friday and then played 49 minutes and lo and behold oh he's not able to play the next two games right so maybe i know you're trying to win an overtime game and you get caught up in things but maybe they needed to just be a little bit more judicious about that uh you know they're 14 and 16 right now and i mean they've probably had about as good a health as you could have hoped right like simmons has played every game and has probably played more games than we would have guessed at the start of the year he's played better than we would have guessed at the start of the year they haven't had any other real significant injuries uh i mean Fultz maybe but he was not supposed to be a positive player for them this year anyway and still you know they're 14 and 16 and despite all the hype here they could get into a little bit of trouble in this east playoff race if they're not able to turn it around and they are now one in six this season when joel does not play yeah that was something that has been and a lot of those losses have been to teams in the bottom half even the bottom 10 of the league so it, it is notable you know when you lose to the kings and, and the bulls is a little bit different because they've been six and oh since Miritich got there but i want to keep an eye on them and 
if we do the random questions, one of the things that I'm thinking about is the playoff picture. And in the East right now, it looks like it's 10 teams for eight spots because Charlotte and Orlando have just really yeah. fallen off well, the well, pace. Let's, let's just talk about that right now, actually. Okay. I, I, don't, I don't need to get into this Washington-New Orleans game that badly. It was just, it was a weird game. The Wizards went up by 20 and then New Orleans went on a 24 to 1 run to come back and take a one point lead after which Washington went on their own 24 to 5 run and then just you know it was a blow up but by that point it was a really odd game uh in which New Orleans aside from that 24 to 1 run was just utterly uh, outplayed um but yeah let's talk about that East playoff pitcher right now what did you want to discuss there so there are different levels to this but as I'm looking at it at the moment if we want to say that Charlotte and Orlando due to injuries and effectiveness and just everything else like that they're not out they're just unlikely I would say at this point if you take those two teams out then it's in all likelihood it's 10 teams for eight spots and so I would say three of those are basically locked in Boston Toronto and Cleveland those teams are excellent those teams have played well they've got a pretty significant lead on the field then how you differentiate the next group is there but it's Washington Milwaukee Detroit Indiana Miami Philly and the Knicks and two of those teams won't make it and sometimes when you have 10 for eight or something like that where you have two excess teams injuries will play a major factor in it but also I mean we have to like one of these teams might just fall out because they're ineffective or worse than the other ones and so I was kind of wondering how you're feeling about that collection of teams more so than the three at the top that we feel are all good yeah I mean but for 538 right now heat projected as the eighth seed 64 percent chance of making the playoffs I mean they're dealing with their own injury issues the Sixers now at 14 and 16 projected for 39 and 43 45 percent chance of making the playoffs Knicks 35 percent Hornets still given a 27 percent chance uh because their fundamentals are not so bad and they had that blowout win against the Knicks which probably helped them a little bit both in the numbers and in the standings and the Pacers we keep waiting for them to fall apart as well I mean I do think that the Bucks clearly to me have by far the most talent of any of those teams you know outside of the Wizards you know and I think the Wizards to me just have been doing it for longer and they don't have the coaching issues that the Bucks have so and the Bucks still have to reintegrate Parker which could be interesting so we'll see whether like the Wizards or Bucks are more likely to take that fourth seed I think it'll probably be the Wizards um and then but I like the Bucks the most out of those kind of bottom four team and I'm just I I think it's gonna I think the Sixers are gonna be the ones out of it and you know the Knicks are above 500 right now but as we talked about you know if they're still at 500 or close to it after like this their home and road schedule evens out you know then I'll start to take them seriously I'm not quite there yet right yeah I'm kind of thinking one team goes on ineffectiveness that being the Knicks is the most likely team and then the other one could be injury so I would say my expectation and and the Sixers have a lot of tough games coming up they have a they have two against Toronto and we don't know when Embiid's coming back those are their next two games but then in January they just play a lot of good teams they have Boston twice the Spurs twice OKC Milwaukee twice so like and they don't have much padding there and so with a young team that still has a lot to figure out you know the Sixers can beat almost anybody like they're they're good enough to do that but they have to be full strength and they have to be engaged and so I think they're the most likely of those teams to fall out but I will pencil in that spot for just somebody getting bad luck and you never want it to be anybody but it's always somebody yeah and I think the Sixers they've already made this trade they have this plethora still of surplus second round picks 
if they could find someone who would be an upgrade on Bayless and TLC that combination right now and also McConnell well he has played well we mentioned how it's really tough with a fit with him when Simmons is out there and so he probably shouldn't be playing really more than 15 minutes a game or so if they can find someone who can really be an upgrade there and you know I doubt that's going to be Fultz and who knows when he's going to be back anyway but he's going to play a little bit too but they got to get more shooting now with Reddick you know, I think they've been leaning on him a little bit too much he got this hamstring tightness he, he's had some issues so far and so this is kind of why you know I didn't really appreciate the Trevor Booker trade because I felt like it was a misidentification of what they needed they got plenty of bigs even with Embiid out I mean it was telling that they got all these bigs and they didn't play any of them down the stretch because they just couldn't score and they were trying to score so getting some more shooting on the floor TLC has really been struggling he was a further one of five tonight did hit a three but he had this corner three that he was so wide open and you could just see he was kind of aiming it like not shooting an easy ball and it seems like his struggles are starting to get into his head a little bit and then Bayless it just provides too many weaknesses defensively even if he can hit a shot so I, I think if they can upgrade there maybe I'll feel better about them and then of course it all depends on Embiid's health as well yeah I mean the one and six without him in the lineup you you can tell how large he looms and also Dario Saric has been a little bit shakier from three I think he's at about 32 percent in December when yeah. he was at he's at 34 for the season and while you look at the whole sample when something ties in more with what you what you expected from him and and what his past track record is kind of go okay well if he's that guy more that guy than who he was at the start of the year it doesn't necessarily make their starting lineup look different because they just don't have that many other options but you think about his long-term role in it i mean now with covington simmons and Embiid looking locked in as three key pieces of this then you like the colangelo can look at this overall picture in terms of who makes sense with those guys and there are kind of lottery ticket type players that they can that they can try and I don't think they should necessarily use their best assets on that and then also I believe they still have the room exception which they could potentially yeah, throw some right. throw some money at if if the right person either through a buyout or whatever circumstance just just gets on the market to just try to find an answer and that would be nice to use because it doesn't require any assets and it's not like they're anywhere close to the tax so it could be a good a good little asset for them to use a tool for them to use moving forward yeah it, it would have to be someone obviously on, on the free agent market although there are a lot of teams that have some firepower there let's do the same analysis in the west here they're really well that was going to be my random question so we can tie this in my my question was my question was going to be how many wins do you think the eighth seed ends up with in the west uh well as of now the blazers are projected to be the eighth seed and they are projected to have 42 wins now the pels are projected to finish one game behind the blazers they're number nine but then you go down to the clippers with 35 wins so you know i think probably 41 would be right about it 41 42 um but we'll see i mean the jazz have continued to play okay without gobert they have a lot of depth other than him the thunder have clawed back to 500 but they're not really playing any better and in some ways they're actually playing worse than they were beforehand i think their point differential as they were at 1.8 and 12 and now have clawed back to 500 making them seven and three over their last few they actually have gotten extremely lucky in close game over these last few uh and have kind of been playing worse the defense has slipped a, a little bit and the offense is no better by the way David Locke had uh, he checked out some film of that game against Denver he said that Russell Westbrook had I think 17 touches in the last nine minutes of the game and passed three times and that Paul George had like and this is off the top of my head so forgive me if I'm getting this a little bit wrong but the gist of it is certainly correct Paul George had like one touch in the last nine minutes of the game well I mean remember that game I think it was against I think that was the last time they played Denver when 
when Paul George, the only time he touched the ball in the last five minutes was when he stole the ball himself. Yeah. And Russ willed them to that win. I mean, he had 38 points. The rest of the guys weren't scoring. And I mean, they won the game. But, uh, you know, Locke makes a great point, which is, you know, do you really, if you, especially if you're a guy who has talent, do you want to play with Russell Westbrook? Now, in Westbrook's defense, he tried the like super passive route earlier. Now, of course, the problem with the super passive route is it's exactly that. It's super passive, right? Like he just passes the ball and it's like, okay, now you go do something as opposed to, all right, I'm going to be an active cutter. I'm going to be an active screener. You've documented his utter lack of screen assist. It, you know, it's basically you just, anytime he passes the ball, it's just go stand somewhere else, put your hands on your knees. You know, there's no real, and then maybe he'll run in and try and get an offensive rebound because, you know, those count in the stat sheet. But it's it's definitely difficult to play with him. I think it's, uh, and that maybe, you know, obviously KD didn't want to be there anymore. And But maybe we don't give KD enough credit for how he was able to be as effective as he was playing with Westbrook and then also they they have some issues in terms of Adams being out and the lack of depth I mean that, that's another problem and it's also Carmelo and George not hitting the shots that they are able to get so I mean I understand from Westbrook's perspective of like hey you know I tried to give to these guys we lost like these guys were playing terrible like I was scoring well like I'm gonna go take over I'm gonna go a thousand miles an hour but you know it's still not a recipe for staying south by any I agree with all that but let's move on to the, just thinking about the the West playoff picture there are some strong parallels with the East being that there are three teams that are probably ahead of everyone else the Warriors the Rockets and the Spurs all those teams are 10 plus in many cases a lot more than that over 500 the Spurs are 21 and 10 but they're going to be better as Kawhi improves and I mean they've had a yeah. just an impressive he's start he's continued to, the year. to not look great though he, he was yeah he has on Monday. it's going to take some time and then after that you have this group of teams that the, we some of us well all, both of us feel are more talented than some of the other ones but nobody's really separated themselves Minnesota is 18 and 13 now so they've separated a little bit but I'm still not completely sold on on them all the way but that that margin might end up being significant and then you have Denver OKC Utah Portland and New Orleans all of those teams so that theoretically would be five six seven eight nine all of those teams are within three games of 500 in one direction or the other and they're all dealing with injuries in various capacities I mean the Pelicans it's more of like the season-long Solomon Hill variety Denver is getting some of their guys back and so how are you how are you feeling about that and then I'll give my thoughts well the Pels were kind of a, a trendy pick uh, to get back into it uh you know and then Rajon Rondo came back and uh Rondo negative 6.2 net rating and in particular the defense has completely fallen apart whenever he's out there 115.9 defensive rating which is you know four points worse than the worst defense in the league when he's been out there and especially when you throw him in together with Cousins and you've got a pretty flammable defensive combo there in terms of their effort so you know and Rondo has had like enough nice games where he's looked really good where it's sort of like you can get past that but you know I still think that they are better not playing him and you know they're going to a lot of lineups now with Rondo and Holiday and each one more at the three and those are some nice offensive lineups but you're really going to struggle to stop anybody on, on the perimeter with that group and you know they have Jameer Nelson who I think is a totally fine backup point guard I, I'm just thinking that you know as long as they're playing Rondo this much they're not going to stop anybody and it's not all his fault but, but no you know, it's not a lot of its cousin too you want it um, you want a stat on that oh desperately so there have been five games since Rondo got back but Anthony Davis didn't play you know so, so it's only a four game sample that we're dealing with if just kind of since that since the 
I'll deal with that and then I'll probably try to pull it from the time before. Davis and Rondo have played about 21 minutes a game together and their defensive rating is 116 in those minutes. Then Davis is playing about 18 minutes a game because he's playing 39 in the 30, averaging 39 these with defensive rating of 100.3. So there's a difference of 16 in that. Again, it's a small sample, but it is notable in that way. Yeah, and, and that's their starters too. So Cousins is probably out there for a lot of that time that Davis and Rondo are there together as well. And, and Rondo played a little bit less in this one uh, against the Wizards. But so if I had to guess, I mean, but it's just, you know, it's tough, right? I mean, the, the Thunder had the most talent, but they have uh, these fit issues. Their offense has been horrible. The Nuggets, Jokic is like kind of back now, but Millsap is still out. I, I trust them to score. I don't trust them to defend. The Wolves have done well in the clutch, but they can't stop anybody either. I mean, all of these teams have massive holes. The Jazz have big injury concerns. The Blazers offense is rough because they can't shoot. I and mean, these are all just some very flawed teams. And it really seems like just whoever is going to get lucky in close games or, or whoever gets the most hurt is the one that's going to fall out of it. But if I had to pick one, just because it always seems to be the Pels, they just seem to be like the worst luck team of any of these. And I I don't really trust them organizationally or coaching to overcome that. You know, if you if you want to say uh, Jazz, Blazers, Pelicans, I trust Terry Sots and Quinn Snyder to find a way with limited personnel more than I do the Pelicans. And especially well, just one I'm also not a believer in Cousins and Rondo winning players. The other big component of that is that New Orleans is very dependent on Anthony Davis and Anthony Davis is injury prone. Right. It doesn't always have to be big stuff, but they need him out there. And, and, and they not... have no depth, right? I mean, the, right. the Jazz and at least CJ and Dame never get hurt. Plays. So I got the full, the longer stats. So Rondo's, the first game where he played significant, he played 25 minutes against Denver on 11-17. The splits since that point, defensive rating, Rondo plus Davis, 109.6. Defensive rating, Davis minus Rondo, 94.2. Uh, all right, that's a, a good one to end on here. Dylan Murphy's going to be on tomorrow. Looking forward to, to having him on. And we'll talk a little bit more about the Thunder, get into some more, of course, of his coaching analysis. He did a nice piece on like how ice coverage works, which is very interesting. The theory behind that, we're going to get into that a lot as well. And uh, that will do it for today. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you all next time. Till then. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.